Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Anju Ghangurde, Executive Editor for the Asia-Pacific Region with Script and Pink Sheet. And today I'm joined by G.V. Prasad, Co-Chairman and Managing Director of Dr. Eddy's Laboratories. Prasad has long led the company, shaping its trajectory from a mid-sized domestic operation to a diversified global pharma player with revenues of close to 3 billion in FY23. DRL, as many of you know, was founded in 1984 by the late Dr. Anji Reddy and has over the years seen many milestones. It was the first Indian drug maker to outlicense an NCE way back in 1997, the first pharma company in the Asia Pacific outside of Japan to list on the NYSE in 2001 and also make it to the list of top 10 generic firms in the US in 2009 and many such accolades. Now founder Dr. Anji Reddy, also Prasad's father-in-law, was known for his big picture thinking. And Prasad has in the past, and also in his new book that we'll come to, noted how he learned to look at the forest from the founder. On the other hand, Dr. Anji Reddy in his memoir, recalled how he turned to Prasad in his hour of need, quote unquote, when there were some big challenges at group company Keminor. There are several such interesting nuggets along the course of the company's history, and we hope to hear from Prasad on some of these. Of course, we'll also touch upon Dr. Reddy's growth strategy, emerging areas of interest like cell and gene therapy, Prasad's take on leveraging new technologies, and also the bit on how family-owned, professionally-run Indian firms now seem to be evolving. There's also Prasad's new book, a fascinating amalgam of his interest in ornithology, photography, and gleaning some life and corporate lessons therein. So plenty to talk about. Thanks so much, Prasad, for your time today. Thank you very much, Anju. It's, it's a pleasure for me to participate in this podcast and have this conversation with you. And I look forward to this. Thanks, Prasad. So let's uh, you know begin at the beginning. Let's rewind a bit. You became a member of Dr. Reddy's board you know, way back in 1986. That's close to 40 years now. How would you sum up DRL's journey over the years? And what would you say some of or, you know, what some of the key high points, some of the challenges that the company has had to overcome. You probably weathered many a storm along the way. Yeah, it's been a fascinating journey, and it's not been a smooth one. It's been a roller coaster of a ride. And there are many phases of transformation that we went through in this last four decades. Initially, when the company was founded, it was a very much uh, a company focused on survival, on bringing products to the market, being financially viable. That was the first phase of entrepreneurship of the company. Uh, and I wasn't that involved at that point. I was on the board from 86, but I really took on a full-time role only in the year 1990. Uh, even when I joined in 1990, the company was relatively small, maybe about $20 million in combined revenue of the group. But it was thinking big. We were thinking big. Dr. Reddy was always ambitious, aspirational, and wanted to be the best at what he did. 
so with that aspiration, we started building the company in various directions. Initially, we were an API company, and uh, we you know, quickly achieved a lot of success thanks to the R&D and deep science orientation of the company at that time. Uh, it was a it was a great uh, time to be a pharmaceutical producer because you just had to make the product and you could sell and make money. So the initial years we achieved a lot of success. Then we moved up the value chain, uh, went into uh, global markets, uh, vertically integrated into finished dosage, and built our various businesses after that. Of course, it wasn't a very smooth ride. We had. Uh, you know, people leaving us, becoming entrepreneurs, some of them have become big uh, from key positions, and those departures caused some upheaval in the organization. Uh, and as we globalized, we had to learn new skills, uh, the quality systems had to be upgraded, and there had to be a transformation on the talent side. While initially we were a very local company, we had to become more global in our outlook, we had to hire uh, best uh, of the talent from various parts of the world. And uh, somewhere around 2000, we were fully established as a professional company, well-regarded as a great employer, and also faced a lot of success in the markets. And that's when we came together, all the group companies merged, and we listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And after that, our focus has been uh, to professionalize the management uh, uh, at various levels, uh, upgrade our governance systems, and also bring in uh, progressive people practices. And uh, these three pillars of uh, deep science and technology, progressive people practices, and good governance uh, have been uh, the pillars on which we built the organization. Of course, we've had challenges for some some years we had safety challenges in our uh, chemical plants and after that we had quality challenges we overcame all of those and uh, today i am happy to say that we are a strong company sustainable in everything we do and we have a great pipeline of talent and good leadership you know it looks uh, you know the journey when i look back there have been a lot of ups and downs it's not a very linear journey it's like a roller coaster. Uh, and I think, you know, that's the uh, fun of building a great company in these challenging times. Thank you. So, I mean, quite an interesting masterclass, I would say, in uh, maybe business management and administration in some ways. Um, I, I recall in a past interaction, you actually mentioned how, you know, founder Dr. Anji Reddy used to call you for certain post-lunch chats uh, during yeah. which both of you would discuss topics such as strategy, science, molecules. Uh, you're a very, uh, you know, a hands-on kind of person. So is that something that you've carried forward with the senior management or the younger crop of leaders, this bouncing of ideas, strategy, all of that? Well, I, I, I remember those conversations very vividly. I was a listener and I used to take notes, but he used to be doing all the talking. Uh, Dr. Reddy was very passionate about science, and every day he would, you know, share something with me uh, that happened in the labs that really uh, tweaked his interest. And um, and I think I, I I took away a lot of that at that time. I was wondering why he was telling me all of this, but in hindsight, he was actually preparing me 
for a career in Dr. Reddy's. At that time, he was not part of Dr. Reddy's in the management, but he would be sharing all his uh, stories on science. And that kind of tweaked my interest in science and technology, and that interest continues even now. Um, Dr. Reddy used to meet me around three or four in the morning, in the evening every day. These days, I, I do the early morning thing. When I'm doing my morning walk, I call some of my mentees, and we do discuss various aspects of the business and the science and the exciting things that are happening around us as well as in our laboratories. So I, I do have those conversations with uh, various team members. That's really interesting. So, uh, I mean, if I just you know can ask you, what's the kind of uh, leadership you encourage? Because I particularly noted in your book the quote on loosening the steering and control, and there's also <laughs> one on you know the harder the CEO is pushed to increase shareholder value, the more he or she will be tempted to make moves that could potentially hurt shareholders over the long term. So, what's the kind of uh, leader you you are you you'd like to have? So, so thank you for reading my book and those interesting quotes. Uh, the, you know, firstly, I believe that all of us should be doing the right thing for all stakeholders. That is, create value for all stakeholders and not trade off the interests of one stakeholder against the other. So that's the tenet with which I've built this organization. And I encourage my leaders to think like that. Uh, so sometimes... You know, uh, as professionals, we have a, a short horizon and we try to maximize value that we create for the share shareholders or one set of stakeholders that inevitably results in a bad outcome. Uh, when you, you know, create value for one set of people uh, disproportionately. So that is one thing I, you know, encourage my leaders to think long term think positive outcomes for all stakeholders, not to trade off the interests of one group of stakeholders against the other. And uh, while achieving results is very important and we should focus on the results, but if you put excessive focus only on shareholder value, uh, you're trying, you may take the decisions which will impact the company adversely in the long term. And that's what I mean by you know, saying that when a CEO charges hard for financial performance alone, uh, it's not going to create value for the organization in the long term. So that's one of my belief. So these are some tenets which I practiced, and hence I can talk about them now. And I think these tenets have served me well, served Dr. Eddie's well. Uh, and I encourage my leaders to think about the long term, think about all our stakeholders, keep the patient at the center, and uh, if you do all that right, success will follow. That's really interesting and important insights for C-suite. Uh, let's move a bit uh, now to the strategy part of uh, things. Uh, these are really complex times. We have you know, geopolitical issues, the unending Ukraine war, new players in the pharma healthcare ecosystem, new modalities, AI, generative AI, smarter patients, social media, and of course, the, you know, the existing competition and pricing pressure. Now, against this kind of backdrop, could you elaborate a bit on the strategic roadmap for DRL in the medium to long term, you know, what under what you term as the Horizon 2 plan? What would yeah. you want DRL to look like, say, in 2020, 2030? So, firstly and, for, uh, first and foremost, 
our core business still has a lot of potential. And maximizing that potential is an important aspect of what we do now. And that uh, includes portfolio decisions, the businesses that we are scaling them up, improving the way we develop products, improving the cost structures and all of those. And the fundamentals really being first to market on all the products that matter, having uh, a cost which enables us to compete effectively, uh, having a supply chain which is resilient and flexible, and finally, having the right engagement model, commercial engagement model. So these are fundamentals and we are really committed to them and we are doing our best to strengthen the core. Now, having said that, I think long-term, we would like to diversify our sources of revenue and growth. Uh, we do have a healthy core, but as we see out in the future, there is a lot of change coming. Like you mentioned, uh, digital, AI, all of this, is becoming very disruptive. Uh, patients are much better informed. Um, the nature of therapies is, is changing from being small molecules dominant to multiple modalities. So given all this, I think as a company, we are looking out at the future and saying, what do we need to do to find new revenues of uh, new sources of revenue? And uh, this is what is loosely called as Horizon 2. But in, in many ways, Horizon 2 is a combination of adjacencies to our core, as well as things which are going to become very important in the future. And they largely follow fall in three buckets. The first bucket is uh, bringing innovative products to our patients in India and emerging markets. Uh, so these are novel prescription, novel products, which we bring through licensing and things like that. And also building uh, the innovation muscle uh, to create products which are not generic but are differentiated in some ways. And also, uh, we also have a drug discovery pipeline. And as we get more clinical data, we will invest in taking them to the market. So the whole thing, one whole bucket around uh, innovative products. The second bucket is around going directly to the patient um, through OTC products, through wellness, through uh, various solutions. Uh, uh, for uh, prevention, for wellness. So that direct-to-customer, direct-to-consumer business is one second bucket. The third bucket would be around uh, digital, uh, digital ecosystems, digital solutions, uh, med tech combined with uh, the apps, things like that. That's a largely an exploratory phase uh, place for us today. But we are also partnering with companies which have developed products to bring them to patients in India. India will be our big testing ground. And if we succeed, we'll take them to other countries uh, where we have a field force and a branded business. So this is broadly how we are thinking of the future, strengthening the core, exploring opportunities uh, in uh, beyond the core uh, in areas which will matter in the future. Of course, we are even in the core, we are developing new ways of doing things, continuously driving digitalization and adopting the new tools that are becoming available to make us more productive. And uh, that's part of our core now. Okay, uh, so you know, just playing devil's advocate, what would you say to people who say that maybe DRL is at some level also spreading itself too thin? Uh, you know, too many activities and uh, spe the specialism part of it may get a bit diluted. So there is that's a valid criticism, and we are aware of that. 
So even in our Horizon 2, we are not going all over the place. We're just looking at these three buckets. And the biggest bucket will be the, you know, uh, uh, products. Uh, it's, it's products that make a difference to patients. So our focus will be on collaborations, partnerships, licensing to bring products to our patients in India. So to that extent, it's not going to be a big diversion of attention there because we're relying on external thing. The other area that we are focusing on is biology driven, which is exploring CAR-T, exploring our drug discovery pipeline, uh, our biosimilars in regulated markets, things like that. They really build on activities that we've been doing for decades now. So in that sense, I don't see this as too much of a you know the departure from where we are. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, you know, if we can just move a bit to what's happening globally. Now, we've seen really impressive strides made by some big pharma firms in Alzheimer's. And with societies aging rapidly globally, uh, neurogenerative degenerative disease is expected yeah. to be a key healthcare issue that will require solutions. Now, uh, you know, using your big picture hat, what are your thoughts on some of those exciting developments we've seen coming from Lilly, ISI, and Biogen? I particularly ask you this because there's an interesting little you know, nugget of information in Dr. Anji Reddy's memoir, which notes how way back in 2014, he was named co-inventor for novel pyridine carboxylic acid derivatives, which may have had potential in Alzheimer's. So, yeah. you know, generally, what's your thinking on this? So our drug discovery today has been completely focused on oncology, primarily immune-oncology. So we are not so active in other areas. Um, you know, to make a difference in Alzheimer's is a huge challenge, uh, the, the kind of trials you have to do. And you're right, the recent developments are really fantastic. But it took the industry a long time to see a breakthrough in Alzheimer's. Um, so our focus has large been, largely been uh, oncology in terms of drug discovery, as well as in terms of uh, licensing in uh, novel oncology assets from other, other companies for the Indian market. Uh, we will uh, focus on uh, the area that we know better, so that will be largely oncology in the near term. In other areas, we will do incremental innovation or you know, license in products but our focus will continue to remain oncology for the next uh, seven, eight years at least. Okay, uh, you you touched upon you know your interest or ambitions in new areas like cell and gene therapy and immune oncology. Uh, I mean, if we can you know get a little more granular, uh, okay. I know you have alliances on uh, on the cell and gene therapy front. You you believe an affordable CAR T is isn't too far away. So right now, the science uh, is not at a stage where you can have a general CAR-T. And unless we come to a general CAR-T, which can be off the shelf and be used by anybody, the costs of uh, doing a uh, you know, personalized uh, CAR-T, which is the, the logistics of taking blood out of yours, uh, of a patient, processing it, and then putting it back, is going to remain expensive because of the whole cost of running that operation and to maintain the integrity and sterility of the product, uh, that is why it is so expensive. Uh, that is going to be 
the cost is going to definitely come down. It's not going to be the million dollar plus that that that's exists today for uh, therapies in the West, but it'll still be quite quite costly. It'll probably be uh, less than hundred thousand dollars in India, uh, based on the licensing product products that we licensed and understanding the costs. But it'll still be expensive. Not many people can still afford uh, fifty lakhs, sixty lakhs. Uh, or up to hundred thousand dollars patient. So the great thing about it is the it works beautifully for people who are administered. So the efficacy is very high. So in that sense, uh, though it's expensive, it is it works, and that is the beauty of uh, the cell and gene therapy is that the efficacy rates are very very high compared to any other therapy which is out there. Okay, so uh, really exciting times ahead looks like. Uh, let's also, you know, touch upon some of the other exciting topics uh, that we've actually seen uh, come, come to bear, and and that's the technology bit. And I know uh, you're pretty clued in on that aspect as well. So it's you know technology is reshaping industry across R and D, manufacturing, clinical trials, commercialization, all of that. Now, which is the bit that really excites? you the most and how is drl leveraging this union of technology and biotech to drive you know new insights into biology or other aspects of treatment so uh, the, the in a way you're right the 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 progress that is happening in biology is really very very exciting uh, the convergence of uh, low cost of computation the very high capability of uh, uh, analytical instruments, the high throughput of uh, robots, all of these are coming together to revolutionize everything. Uh, even chemistry, for that matter, has undergone a significant change in how it is practiced. Tools to, uh, you know, AI-driven tools to do virtual experiments, to predict uh, reactivity, all of this is making chemistry much more productive. In biology, it is an amazing amount of transformation happening out there. Uh, and uh, new modalities of therapies are emerging, which we never thought of in the past, though work has been happening for many years. The, uh, the vaccines, uh, you know, if you see the amount of uh, work uh, that we could do in such a short period of time to develop a COVID vaccine is really like nothing short of a miracle. So, the industry is going through a very exciting phase in terms of the advancement of science. Now, Dr. Eddy's has largely been a generic company. While we're using all the digital tools uh, in our R&D center, it's still an evolving process. And we are very happy to see the uh, possibilities of dramatically improving productivity of research through these tools. Uh, I think it's still a work in progress. On the biology and new um, the, and the new biology, the cell and gene therapies and all, we are making small baby steps and learning the game. We're also learning uh, other aspects of biology where in the historically we have not invested a lot like synthetic biology and all of that. But uh, that's, you know, if you look at the core business, I think uh, increasingly products will be made through bio biology or biology mediated processes. Uh, apart from just pure chemistry, we are incorporating that toolbox into our uh, generics business. In the biosimilars area, we are we are we are constantly 
learning new ways of manufacturing bioassemblers at lower costs, higher titers, and all of that. That's again uh, an area which is fascinating. And the new biology, we are learning. We are at the learning phase now uh, through through partnerships. All in all, it's a very very interesting space right now, uh, and uh, uh, you know. It's almost, uh, you know, on a daily basis, I learn something new and it's become very tough to keep up with all the advances that are happening out there. Okay, uh, on a less serious note, I mean, does Jimmy Prasad, uh, you know, ask ChatGPT to kind of come up with a speech if you have a sudden speech to make? I haven't used ChatGPT that much. I'm just exploring it now. Uh, you know, I'm trying to write a book on Dr. Eddie's, our journey for the last 30, 40 years. Uh, and uh, I just realized that I have so much material that it's physically impossible for me to read all my speeches of the last 30 years, the various communications that I have and make sense out of it. But I'm using ChatGPT to, uh, I mean, to train ChatGPT, the large language model, uh, to on all my old material and see what it comes out with. I'm, I discovered this last one week that it's so easy to do. I just started on that. So in a way, I hope, uh, you know, I'll co-author a book with uh, the GPT-4 or something and put it out in the next year. Oh, that's quite fascinating, actually. <laughs> okay, so, uh, you know, DRL has also taken some really bold initiatives on the manufacturing front and, uh, you know, FDO3, your largest uh, manufacturing site, and also a 25-year-old site was, uh, you know, designated as a, the advanced fourth industrial revolution uh, revolution lighthouse by the World Economic Forum. And uh, obviously the site now gives you a lot of uh, cost, lead time benefits, reduction in energy consumption, etc. Now, is this the kind of model that you hope to re replicate across more sites, given your aspiration to be the most, you know, probably the most efficient pharma operations in the world? See, look, <clears throat> the power of digital to improve productivity is just beginning to you know, impact our operations. While we've done all the wiring um, uh, in terms of having the right software platforms, create all the uh, data collection uh, systems uh, and all of them, we've, we've derived some immediate increase in productivity, but there's a lot more to be had here. So there's an amazing amount of work that we can do to increase our productivity across everything that we're doing from product development all the way to delivery logistics. Uh, and we're just scratching the surface at this point. Uh, so I'm very excited by the possibilities. And uh, I think digitalization will be a force multiplier in terms of uh, speed to market, right time first, higher quality, uh, data integrity, and of course, uh, cost. So in a way, you know, these are things which everybody should be doing, and I'm sure everybody will adopt. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Uh, we are glad to be on the forefront of this in the generic industry. We will ensure this, these uh, experience, experiences that we've had in building FTO3 into an industrial lighthouse will be spread out across all our manufacturing network. Okay, uh, it's I think particularly impressive because I believe, uh, you know, at a presentation, uh, DRL, uh, DRL executive actually mentioned that 100, it has 100% export volumes, that is FTO unit three, and over 65% of turnovers contributed by sales in North America. So 
really strong and impressive strides. Yeah. Um, if we can just you know touch upon uh, another geography where DRL has really stuck it out and it has a kind of buoyant outlook, and I'm referring to China. Not all Indian companies have the same kind of you know buoyant outlook. What really worked? What's the next big milestone? And uh, you know, do the geopolitical tensions always kind of add a layer of uncertainty? Well, uh, first and foremost, I think philosophically, Dr. Reddy's once we select a market, we are committed to it to very long term, unless you know something really major hits us, like what happened to us in Venezuela, uh, where you know the entire country went through chaos. Uh, even uh, in Russia, we stuck it out, and you know it it really helped us build a big presence there. We consider China a very strategic market and a very important market uh, in many ways. One, it's one of those few markets where uh, there is a premium for innovation, there is a premium for early entry into the market, and it's a large market. Uh, the market has its own challenges. The, the regulations are constantly changing, evolving. The local competition is very strong. But you know, in, in products where we are strong, we believe that China is going to be an attractive market. Uh, the, the market has its unique challenges, but we find uh, that you know, if you stick it out there, if you build local talent, if you build uh, enough credibility with the patients and hospitals and the medical system, they they are quite receptive uh, to a player like to a player like us. We are not that concerned about geopolitical tensions. Our commitments are uh, our commitments are first and foremost to the patients wherever they are, whether they are in Ukraine, whether they are in Russia, whether in China. Our commitment continues to be the patients and uh, the political tensions. Uh, do not impact us to the extent that they may affect our operations for our logistics, but we will work our way around and stay committed to our patients in a market which we consider as uh, strategically important. Okay. Uh, I also asked you that because, you know, we've heard of China's latest commercial compliance crackdown. Then there is the, you know, wide-ranging anti-espionage law that has certain implications on overseas data transfers and business intelligence gathering. So you're comfortable with all of that in you know, par for the course, I mean, right? See, every country has their own priorities, their own policies, and our goal is to be compliant with all laws, uh, all local laws where we operate. Okay, uh, let's now shift tracks a bit. Uh, we've seen some action on this front. So, you know, this is the question around, you know, the generational shift that we are seeing in Indian pharma. We have several top-notched family-owned but professionally run companies where maybe Gen Next may have their own interests, or big ideas, but outside of industry. Would you say Indian pharma is, you know, at a hinge moment or at the crossroads where we would perhaps going, you know, forward down the line have Fewer Boringer-style family-owned Indian MNCs. I mean, I can't look out and predict the future, but of course we are in a very interesting time. Some companies have started, uh, you know, passing the baton on to the next generation, and they've done it successfully. Uh, case in point, uh, Zydus or even Torrent, 
the next generation is taking up the responsibility. In some companies where this hair is not apparent, they are figuring out ways to deal with the succession. But I think uh, owner-managed companies are the dominant force in the industry in India. And I think there'll continue to be involvement and engagement of the owners, the promoter families in these, uh, in, in these companies, except in rare cases where there is uh, no successor apparent. Um, of course, uh, professionals uh, will run the company, even if there's an owner involved. Uh, the major major portion of management has to come from professionals. So it's a unique mix of promoter involvement as well as professional leadership. And I think Indian companies will figure out, each company will figure out its own uh, way of managing and its own mix of uh, family and professionals. Okay, uh, so I, I must ask you this, uh, though I'm not sure if uh, you know uh, you'd be able to share much more. But Dr. Reddy's name has cropped up in this speculated deal pertaining to Sipla. Um, I mean, I just have to ask you: Is that on the cards? Um, and you, I, I, I know you. You know that I cannot answer this question. Uh, <laughs> I, I cannot comment on it. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, I will, you know, draw some inferences when, uh, you know, when I read when I read the book and your quotes, it has interesting uh, nuggets with talk about conservatism and financing, corporate, uh, uh, and also it talks about uh, the, that entrepreneurs need to be defined by three factors: concept, capability, culture. I think you can draw some inferences there. Anyway, so let's move, uh, you know, completely to your book now, Birds and Beliefs. It's a beautiful title and a fascinating collection of photographs of birds interspersed with quotes from leaders you've met. Tell us a little about your interest in ornithology. I mean, I, I read about your friend Ashish Pithi and you know, yes. also tell us about how the book idea emerged. Uh, would you jot down some of these quotes or simply remember them? And what are some of the big life lessons that you can perhaps draw from birds? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. Um, I've always been interested in uh, wildlife, whether it is birds, mammals, forests around me since I was a child. Uh, unfortunately, in an urban setting, the only wildlife you see is birds. And I got interested in birds uh, studying them more closely through my uh, uh, membership of a bird watching society in Hyderabad. And uh, I learned a little more about birds than other uh, species. Uh, and somewhere in the middle, I also started photography. And these two hobbies came together. Uh, over the years, my pictures have started getting better uh, and better. Uh, and uh, I've published books uh, of just pictures. Uh, this one I wanted to do dedicated to uh, the earlier books I did were more on coffee table books on trips that I made. Uh, I have about three books that I have, one on Africa, one Alaska, another one on the Himalayas. Uh, so I just wanted, I have a lot of uh, pictures of birds from many, many years uh, in my archives. I have about 10,000 pictures. I selected a few pictures that I thought I'll publish the pictures of the birds. And then I thought of it and said, what can I add to make this bird book a little more interesting than just books? And, uh, you know, I keep a notebook where I write down ideas, quotes by people, or even sometimes my own thoughts 
which were relevant at that moment, uh, which helped me uh, in my journey in doctorate days. So I extracted all those quotes from my book. I have a book which is almost 25, 30 years old, and I used those quotes uh, and shared the relevance of that quote to my journey in Dr. Eddie's in this book. So there are many lessons uh, that one can draw from nature. But if you look at birds, I think, uh, I don't know if we can learn any management lessons, but life lessons, we can learn a lot. Uh, patience, um, the skill in which they you know, build their nests, the, how they navigate the world, migrate from one area to other. There's so much uh, things to be very fascinated about birds. Uh, and, you know, this is the wildlife right outside your window. You can sit and watch, observe, and learn from them. That's really fascinating. And uh, I, I particularly like the quote on uh, living company and also hiring and Russian dolls. I mean, some of those are really, uh, really relevant and very, very interesting. Uh, so thanks for Thank that. You. Uh, also, Thank I'm you. You know, just, just intrigued a bit. Uh, I mean, I know it's a fable, but is there a Jonathan Livingston Seagull in uh, Jimmy Prasad somewhere? I can't talk about that about myself. Um, I mean, if you look at conventionality, and I'm probably not a conventional promoter. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, I have thoughts and decisions which I've made, uh, some of which have gone spectacularly wrong, some have been good for the company. But I don't look at myself that much to think about, am I a rebel? Am I a different from others. Uh, I just live my life in the moment. Okay, so keeping it simple. So, uh, you know, finally, uh, how do you get step back and perspective and what gets G.V. Prasad uh, back on the grueling corporate treadmill each day with, you know, the same enthusiasm? So, like I said, I, you know, I with this this company, this enterprise was built on three pillars, deep science and technology, uh, progressive people practices, and governance. Uh, I'm very fascinated by the technology and science. Uh, I, it's like magic for me, how products are created, how you know we get breakthroughs uh, through science. So that's something which is so dynamic in my industry, and it is, it's not it's not boring like real estate or cement where you see the same thing every day but in our in our industry something new is happening every day somewhere out there and just learning that gives me enough energy to do more um on the people i i really like to see my people uh, attain their full potential uh, sometimes i can be a pain i i keep asking them to do more think more or be more aspirational, be ambitious, and not uh, be satisfied. And some some people like that, some people don't. But I enjoy seeing my uh, leaders flourish, grow, and create impact. So the people part of it is also another big motivator for me. I'm very happy to see over a dozen C-level people from Dr. Eddie's in various global companies. Uh, and you know that gives me great pride. And finally, I think building a co company which is transparent, uh, which 
all stakeholders like, respect, and value uh, through good governance, good practices. And governance is not just corporate governance. It's how you take your daily decisions, uh, how you think about uh, the stakeholders in every decision and uh, make your make your decisions transparently and create uh, uh, an organization where everybody can reach their full potential. Uh, these are things which really inspire me every day and give me the energy to come back to work every morning. I mean, those are really fascinating insights across a range of topics. So thank you so much, Prasad, for your time today. And, uh, you know, may all the very best for more books and uh, more uh, more engagement with nature as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anju. It's been fascinating.